This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey everyone, today's guest is Brian Fallon, lead vocalist and guitarist for the New Brunswick, New Jersey punk rock band, The Gaslight Anthem. Brian and I take a deep dive into the inspiration, writing, and recording of the song 45, taken from their fourth full-length album, 2012's Handwritten. From the moment he wrote the song, he felt it was special, as did producer Brendan O'Brien. Brian feels that a lot of songwriters from New Jersey lyrically come from the same place. He went on to explain that he thinks it's because New Jersey lives in the shadow of a number of bigger cities and that they'll always be underdogs with something to prove. And as all my favorite episodes do, things got a bit random and weird. We talked about a rather obscure punk band that both Brian and I have ties with. We discussed New Jersey native Skid Row, and Brian referenced the song Material Girl by Madonna. Interestingly enough, they all somehow tied back into the episode. For all this and a whole lot more, stick around. This is a fun one. Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. What's up, Brian? How you doing, man? I'm I'm good. Good deal. Or uh, you're in Jersey right now? Yeah. I'm at home, the Jersey Shore. Nice. Did you uh, did you ever move outside of Jersey over the years? Or you all, you always stayed put. Yeah, I lived in New York for a minute. Like I think everybody does that for a second, and then not really. Like I've I've spent time in like Nashville for like months, but not years. California for like a couple months, but not not a long time. Uh, I spend so much time away that I, I feel like. I got to stay here for a little while. I hear you. And I can relate to feeling like, you know, I calculated at one point, I, I think I've spent almost two years of my life in LA recording records over the years. Yeah. And uh, so I've I, you know, technically lived there. Yeah. It's, it's weird how you like, you, you can end up living places, but not intentionally. I don't know though. Like, you know what I mean? Like being on tour so much that you're just like, oh, I got to have something that I recognize. I need one toilet that stays put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the little things, you know. I, I know no, you, it is the little things. I know you can relate to this. I had a girlfriend years ago that just would, it would drive her crazy. She's, she, I get home from the road and she's like, "You never unpack your bathroom bag. Oh, you yeah. never hang up your toothbrush." It's like, well, why? I'm just gonna leave again. I just grab the bag and go, right? Yeah, I mean that's the sign. <laughs> she's got to go. You know? Yeah, <laughs> she it. did. She well, did. Good. Hey, see ya. <laughs> And I still got the bathroom bag. Yeah, so hey, got, see that's the thing. The, the bathroom bag will hold you forever <laughs> in those those times of you know lonely nights. It's the win win. Well, you know, I, I gotta say, I I, I did a crash course uh, as I do with with all these episodes uh, of your career. And and looking back, what an insane trajectory. Uh, <laughs> you know, the gaslight anthem had. Yeah, I mean. You know, I had uh, remember hearing your name and the next thing you knew, it wasn't like this slow build. It might have felt like a slow build on your end, but it was just like you guys were everywhere. And, yeah. you know, there's something fascinating to me. And I, I felt this a little bit, you know, less than Jake's former drummer, Vinny, uh, is from New Jersey. And oh, okay. he wrote all our lyrics back in the day. And people, it's the one standout of our band was was the was the lyrics. They felt this connection to them. They were very, uh, I'll use the term uh, blue collar, very relatable lyrics. Uh, and there's something in in something in the uh, the 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 soil in Jersey that 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 breeds that. It's like you know, you look to, to Springsteen, you look to the punk bands, Gaslight, you, your your writing style, the bouncing souls. Um, what is it about that working man's ethic that, that just comes out that touches so many people? Well, I mean, I think that may possibly be that sort of underdog mentality where you're always in the shadow of somewhere cooler. Like there's always New York or there's even Philadelphia or Washington, D.C. You're surrounded on all sides by things cooler and even on the other side by Europe over the Atlantic Ocean. So 
Like they're in, in all directions are things better than yourself. So, you know, you really can sympathize with the idea of being, you know, like, I guess what punk rock is about, like in being, le- you know, feeling left out, essentially. Mm. And I, I feel like that sort of is bred here. And it's also not a real optimistic place. Like there's not, you know, there's a lot of factories and, you know, buildings and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's not like there are scenery. There's like woods and, you know, beaches, but they're crowded, you know, not the woods, but the beaches are incredibly crowded. Yeah. There's no isolation here. So you, I think you feel this pressure of always being uh, squeezed, you know, it's like a weird thing. That, uh, yeah. And I've, I've never heard it put like that. That's interesting. I, I just, there's something about the lyrics from the bands over the years from Jersey that to me, I'll use the word they're believable. Yeah. I can, I, I, they, they feel real. They don't feel like, oh, this is just somebody that put pen to paper to, to get a lyric out. You know, they, they're believable. There's definitely horrible, horrible bands from New Jersey. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's bad ones. There's, um, but I, I think, could name 10 right now, but I'll, but I'll save, I'll save you. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. Probably the same. <laughs> at least five of them are probably the same. But I think that, you know, it, there is like this sense. I, well, there's also, you know, like grandfather Bruce or like uncle Bruce or whatever you want to call him, but he's, he's, you know, sort of set the bar pretty high. Like I imagine, I don't know what's Bob Dylan from Minnesota or something like that, like somewhere, you know, (laughs) so so. I probably wherever he's from, that's like, you know, there's like this long, long shadow of like what you're supposed to do. And I guess, you know, since Bruce was the first one to really like make it, make it, Mm-hmm. You know, it, there was like a sense of seriousness. Even if you look at the bands, like you know, I was listening to uh, the first Skid Row record the other day, and uh, yeah, you know, it's a good record. And and but there is there's a sense of seriousness. Like all the other '80s bands were writing about, like you know, like smoking in the boys' room or like whatever, like girls, girls, girls. But like Skid Row was like 18 in life. Like I just killed a guy and now I'm going to jail. Like that. That's like yeah. the mindset. They're all Jersey guys. You know, it's weird. It's funny you brought them up because I was going to bring up Skid Row to you. Their first singer before Sebastian, his name was Matt Fallon. And I wanted to see yeah. if there was any relation being a Jersey guy. No, there's, I don't think so. I mean, I've never met him, but like, I think. Okay. I, did, did you know that? Though? I did. Yeah, I did. And okay. I, I, I looked myself. I was like, oh, I wonder if this guy's like my you know, cousin Matt. I'd be like, that'd be cool. <laughs> That's what I thought you may say. Yeah, it's my uncle. You I know? wish. Like, you just... I mean, I don't know. Tell like tell uh, Snake Snake Sabo. Yeah. Tell him to call me. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Dave. I will. Which is which is funny. A quick aside. I hung out with Dave Sabo a couple nights. We uh, less than Jake for whatever reason uh, opened up Bon Jovi's Crush tour for two weeks on the East Coast back in two thousand. And uh, Dave came out to the uh, Continental Airlines Arena in Jersey when I'm like, I can't believe that Dave from Skid Row is on my bus right now drinking oh, that's beers cool, with man. us. Dude, those guys are cool. Like, I mean, even like, like I met John a few times and like, he's, they're so cool. Like, and Dave was the lyricist, right? Skid Row. Dave and Rachel did the lyrics. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Rachel, the bass player. Um, yeah. Bolin, right? Rachel Bolin. Yeah. Rachel Bolin. Yeah. They, uh, so yeah, like, I mean, they were the ones like from here. Cause Sebastian, I guess was Canadian. So, but mm-hmm. you can hear all the, you know, the Jersey thing from them too. And like, you know, even I guess like John Bon Jovi's first couple records, they were pretty, they were darker. You know, like then, mm-hmm. then, then like later, but like, there was always that thing. I don't know. Maybe it's, there's so many people from here. Like Bruce Willis is from here. Die hard, you know, <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Like it's, yeah. it's like this weird thing. It's cool. You brought up Skid Row. Cause a lot of, you're right. Most of those bands were singing about, singing about girls and partying or whatever else. And, and they were singing about some, some more real, again, relatable everyday human things. Yeah. I mean, even like the ballads, like the, I remember you and all that. It's like, like, that's something that every kid did. I remember like being like eight years old when that came out and hearing it and being like, like, oh, yeah, like love letters in the sand, like drawn like, you know, like BF plus like, you know, Jennifer <laughs> Lopez or whoever it was, you know, at the time <laughs> that I would write in the sand. And like, you, but every kid did that. It was like, a, I don't know, like that seems like more relate. It was much more relatable to me than like, don't need nothing but a good time. Like time sucked when I was a kid. I don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there was no good time. 
<laughs> well, you know, and again, talking about that trajectory, you know, you, you guys uh, were formed in 2006. The debut record, Sink or Swim, came out uh, 2007. And then uh, you, you signed with Side One Dummy, and the 59 sound came out in 2008. And I mean, just like I said, that year between 07 and 08, you guys just exploded. Yeah. And it was just like, it was everywhere. And your next record, 2010's American Slang, came out. And 59 Sound and American Slang were both produced by Ted Hutt, uh, who's uh, known for working with Dropkick Murphys, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Old Crow Medicine Show, among others. I know he's done stuff with Bouncing Souls. And then you got signed to Mercury. And in July 2012, uh, Handwritten was released. And... Uh, was there talk of working with Ted again? I know you brought in Brendan O'Brien, and uh, why'd you work with Brendan? Was there other producers that the label maybe had brought in, and, and uh, why'd you uh, end up going with, with Brendan? I think with Ted, like we had done two records with Ted, the 59 Sound and American Slang, and then I did like a side project, The Horrible Crows, with Ted Hutt. So it was like third record with Ted Hutt. And then, like, when we went to do Handwritten, we sort of were like, you know, maybe we should do something else, like to see what happens. Like if we, if we did it, not because like, we didn't like Ted, obviously Ted worked well and I've worked with him since. And I don't know, I thought it was like a, a good idea to just try and see who we could get. And then we all, you know, we grew up on the nineties, like Pearl Jam records and stuff like that. So we were like, yeah, like who's the, who's the coolest like record producer, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Like Brendan was there. That was the guy who was like, Rick Rubin obviously produced it, but Brendan was the one who was there every day recording it, Yeah, like, whatever. Yeah. So like, I figured, you know, let's let's talk to Brendan. And he was just like, he worked with Bruce. and He was cool. Like Brendan's just a rock guy, super, super cool. And really like not <laughs> friendly in the sense of like, you know, like he's not going to pull any punches. He was just like us. So he was just like, you know, not like, oh yeah, like this is great. Everything's great. Like he was just like, this sucks. This sucks. Rewrite this. Like this isn't good. And you'd just be like, all right, cool. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about him because I've had, uh, you know, been been doing the pod now for about a year and a half, had a bunch of guests on and maybe someone has worked with Brendan, but none of the songs that I featured on the show uh, were produced by Brendan. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you look at the, <laughs> you you look at his discography, the killers, ACDC, Bruce Springsteen, Chris Cornell, Pearl Jam, Train, The Offspring, The Frame, My Chemical Romance, Rage Against the Machine, Neil Young, Stone Temple Pilots, you know, and yeah. now all of a sudden you're in a room with that had have been a trip right i was wild it was totally wild like but i was in for it i was ready to to like get into it with him he was he was the coolest because he had done I, I spent most of my time with him asking him questions about other bands like who's the best singer you know or like all this stuff and he was really open about it all. He was cool. That was one of my favorite things of working with some of the big name producers that, that we have was picking their brains and warming up enough to where you could pick their brains. Like, okay, yeah. we're out to dinner now. So what's Chris Cornell like, you yeah. know? And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and then, then they start talking, you're hearing these stories and you're like, I can't believe, you know, some of the stuff Rob Cavallo told me, I was like, I, I can't believe that I'm yeah. hearing this green day stories and stuff that were just phenomenal. Some stuff that I won't even repeat because he was telling me in confidence. Sure. And I held I, I've always always held that uh, near, near and dear. But uh, the album handwritten uh, was your first like, again on Mercury Records. You were signed to Mercury number three on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. You know, so it, <laughs> that's I insane. Forgot about that. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. That, that's such that's su such an accompl accomplishment. Congratulations. It was wild when that came out. I mean, like it was I, I remember it being like, all right. <laughs> Well, okay, you know, like this is pretty big now, and then, and it and it it was it was big, and I don't know, we I don't think we really thought about it too much. We wanted to be a big band, like we didn't want not want to be a big band, but we, uh, you know, when it happened, I think we were all a little bit surprised, like like did we pull it off like this, you know? Because I don't think we ever shot to be like we never wanted to say like be like at My Chemical Romance, where you're like I don't know, like that's that's huge. Like that's like pop, mm -hmm. pop big, you know, it's like Bon Jovi big. Sure. But we thought if we could be like the biggest punk band, that'd be sick. And then, yeah, you know, we got to the level where we were like, all right, man, like, you know, the bands we grew up listening to, we had either surpassed or we were on the level with like pretty big bands. Like, yeah. and I was like, especially live, like maybe not record sales or whatever, because, but live, we, we were like going, we were selling out the big places and it was cool. Like. We, we just were like, all right, cool. Like, who, who's the young band that we could take out with us now? So it just became mm -hmm. like a, a further extension of what we were doing previously, but just cooler. 
Well, you want to talk about all the pieces of the puzzle lining up plus hard work. I mean, you made three great records in a row. It was everything was just kind of coming to this uh, crescendo here, and then the record comes out, explodes number three. The song we're going to talk about today, uh, forty five. You know, when I was researching your your catalog, I was certain it was going to be something on the 59 sound that we'd be talking about today yeah. you know and i'm like we got to go for 45 yeah. i mean the song just was massive for you guys it, it i watched the i watched the performance uh you got to play late night with letterman yeah. uh i watched a performance at reading and leeds festival a, a couple a couple different ones and uh you can attest to this when you put a record out it takes a minute for people to warm up but i was watching videos of you guys from 2012 2013 of of 45 and just every every fist is in the air people screaming singing along yeah it was wild like when we did the video i remember we did it at the stone pony and we had like an open you know like email we just said like if you want to come to the video there's this many spaces like first come first serve show up and i i remember saying on the day the morning of the video i was like i hope people show up and then like i was nervous still because like you don't really know and and then there was like so many people i bet the whole boardwalk showed up <laughs> Dude, like that place was jammed <laughs> And it was like, you know, and then we had to turn people away. We just had to be like, you can't take any more people in here. And and, and then we ended up like, we were doing the video, but then we ended up doing a show for free just because it was like, well, we're here, we're set up, let's just do it. And then we did it. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. Like that was a good day. What do you uh, remember about writing 45? Where was it? Uh, where was it in the process? Well, <laughs> so that was fun because uh, when I was writing it, I was writing it. Um, I came back from tour and then I was like, okay, time to write a record. Like I, I know we have, you know, we better get this done. And I remember having like a real hell of a time coming up with something at, like I always do. Every time I start to write a record, I forget how to write songs entirely. And and it it's the it's a nightmare. I hate it. Do you get in your head? Big time, big time. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, like Been you, there. You're a fake. You can't do this. Like you you you're never gonna do this again. Like this is hard. It's a bad idea. Uh, like go back <laughs> to construction now. And then and so like I was uh, but I remember sitting there and I remember going like, I said no, you know I I could do this. And I I remember playing the the chorus and just going to like myself like. Eh. And then like not like da, 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 da. and then I wrote turn the record over like in my head, just like I was looking at a record or something like that. And I thought like oh and, and you know yeah like it's in your life you know and this is the next chapter we're on a major label now I'll flip it over like see what happens. And then it all just like came out at the typewriter and I was not the typewriter but the the laptop. And uh, then I showed it to everybody and everybody was like meh it's all right really it's all right I was like this song rules and everyone was like it's all right. <laughs> Like even friends, I'm talking everybody, friends, everybody, not just not, well, it's fine. It's okay. And then like, I remember showing it to my one friend, Andy Diamond. And he goes, he's like, he's like the mayor of New Jersey. And he's like, kid, <laughs> this is the best song you ever did. And I was like, you know what? You're right. It is the best song. And then I sent it to Brendan and he was like, yo, this is, he said to me, this is a hit song. And I was like, Okay. I'm glad you said that. That was my next question. What did Brendan think of it? Yeah, immediately. He said to me, he goes, this is a hit song. He said, only thing, he said, that little riff that you're doing in the bridge, that's got to happen all over. And it was the, ah. down, 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 down. and I wrote that as a little bridge part, thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, this sounds like Texas is the reason. Cool. I'll put this in the bridge, you know, okay. like as a little break to like the rest of the punkness of the song. And I was like, it'll give yeah. it a little breakdown whatever. So I never thought anything of it. And he's like, that's the riff. And I was like, okay. And then that, that was it. We did it. That's wild. So I, I guess you, you've already answered my question. I usually ask like, where was this song uh, to you uh, in terms of like, where did it rank with the rest of the stuff in the record? You thought it was up there. You yeah. thought it was great. Brent, Brennan thought it was great. Yeah. Where, where in the process of uh, writing the record did this song come? Was it early on or was it late in the game? I would say first or second song. It was probably the second no, I'm sorry. I can tell you it was number three. It was the third song. The first song. That, that's awesome. Yeah. The first song was a song called Biloxi Parish. Second one was a song called May. And then 45 was the third one. No kidding. And I was like, I got this. I was like, this is, I got this one. That's cool. Yeah. Usually for me, it's always the later songs of the record that seem to, you know, you, you kind of get in a groove or something. The first yeah. one kind of go, go on the back burner. That's just my experience. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I've always had it like where it, like the initial burst of inspiration when I sit down to write, 
it's like so freeing when you finally get past all like the head case stuff that yeah. like I get the best ideas right away and then kind of struggle for a while again in the middle. I usually get like four or five songs and then struggle for six months and then like and then I come up with like 20 songs. Well, th- this song, uh, there's one word to it. it. It's immediate for me. When I remember hearing it the first time, I'm like, what's there not to like about this song? It's yeah. just honest. It's straightforward. It's catchy as hell. The song's three minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, <laughs> the song begins, song begins with drums and that clean arpeggiated guitar yeah. that you're speaking of. Uh, right off the top for four bars and the bass and the guitar uh, are playing this simple yet melodic lick that goes on for four bars. And there's a snare roll. And now we're into the verse progression without vocals yet. And you let out this ow. Yeah. <laughs> kind of vocal thing, but it's kind of buried. It's yeah. not like it doesn't hit you over, you know, between the eyes. It's there, but but it but it's subtle. Uh, that happens, and then another guitar part playing a quicker lick, almost sounds like downstrokes happens for eight bars, and then we're into verse one. <laughs> all of these but i'll explain i think you got a pre-chorus in here i don't think this is just a verse into the chorus and 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 i'll tell you why i think that but i'm going to read the whole thing have you seen my hands just look at them shake and the song just keeps on repeating drop the needle again and i dance with your ghost oh but that ain't the way i can't move on and i can't stay the same and all my friends say what's happening here uh, I think, you know, it's like when you're feeling when you're feeling like trapped in those situations where you can't get over something, be it a, a relationship or, a, you know, and it felt like I, I you know, kind of thought that as a writer, like I, this song, I was truly talking to myself in twofold. One, I was referencing a, a, when I was a, a kid and my first like serious like high school breakup, like that was like formative years. And then and encouraging myself of that. And second, I was encouraging myself as I was doubting in my own ability to write and be what I was, what I, because I was officially a musician by trade now. And I was not, and maybe in my head, I, I, I was not before, whether I was in reality or not. And so, you know, what you're hearing here is that's me working that out and saying, I feel like a lot of my songs are always talking to the listener and that this song for certain is talking to myself and the listener. Okay. And the song title 45 does not appear anywhere in the lyrics. Can, can you shed some light or you care to share what, what 45 is about? Yeah. Well, 45 is the single, like a vinyl single. So, you know, turn the record over. Like it's like, there's all these references that drop the needle again. Like it's like very simple, like the wax and the needle. (laughs) Sometimes I'm a little too highbrow for my own genes here, uh, Brian. I need to be more Captain Obvious. You know what? I get it uh, now. It's me, uh, <laughs> me, me, and Jeff Tweedy. We say, uh, "Don't be afraid of low hanging fruit." <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I should have. I, 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 I should have grabbed the rotten, uh, the rotten apple because 45. <laughs> obviously, it make, makes complete sense to me now. Yeah. You know, I'm arguing that I'm arguing that there's a pre-chorus here. I think uh, there is. Yeah, I can't move on and I can't stay the same because the progression changes there. Yeah. And man, that that chord and when it goes there it is so it's it's so lifting i can't move on i can't stay the same and all my friends say and then we're into chorus one it's only 45 seconds in the song you're already in the chorus <laughs> Do 
you recall up to this point Brendan changing anything or or arrangement wise or was this pretty much pretty much the same and did you demo the song prior to going in uh yeah uh he did not change anything with this one which was awesome for me i felt really good about that um but i did i demoed it um i demoed it acoustic so it was just me playing it to a like probably a click track so it was just me and like a like that and and then singing it you know but i would sing it like at regular volume and not like acoustic ish <laughs> but yeah chorus one comes quick 45 seconds we're already here and uh i'm gonna read these lyrics and uh i'll have you talk about these hey hey turn the record over hey hey and i'll see you on the flip side there you go turn the key and engine over let her go let somebody else lay at her feet that's just like the you know that's the same like kind of encouragement you uh but like universal encouragement like mm-hmm. i remember like singing the song to myself and then getting to the chorus part and kind of going like singing the melody like i often say words that are in front of me like i had a song that i just uh i was looking at the one of the pearl jam records and i they said the word rearview mirror in the melody and then it actually became something else uh, later, you know, so I'm a big fan of like saying whatever's on your mind, like just, mm-hmm. I guess that's like the Beatles kind of thing, like where they're like, uh, you know, what was it? Uh, scrambled eggs was like yesterday. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, like, that, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like scrambled eggs, like, I love your legs. So I think that that's like a healthy thing to do. And this one was just like, and then I'd be like, uh, you know, I don't know. Turn the turn the record over. Like, like, what would you say? Like, how do you get on with your life? Like, you know, I thought it was like such a good thing. Oh, you know what? It was because I wanted to get the phrase. I had I had the phrase. I'll see you on the flip side. It was in my head, and I couldn't get rid of it. So I went, hey, like something, da, 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 and then I said, oh, we probably should say that again. Like, you know, because I knew I was like, I was like, what would I want to do at a show? You know, I'd want to, mm-hmm. you want to sing first time you hear the song. So what do you do? Well, you don't say words. You say, Hey, Hey, or Whoa, or something like that. And I, I felt like, you know, I had, and then I said, eh, see you on the flip side. And I was like, the flip side of what? And I was like, I don't know, a record. <laughs> like, yeah, turn the record over. Like, that's a real mm-hmm. thing. I would have said to somebody like, ah, enough, turn the record over. You know, we would have said that to our <laughs> friends. Stop, turn it over. That's what you'd say to your friends when you're annoyed. <laughs> Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to make a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. Hey, everybody. If you like Chris Demakes a podcast, I'm going to assume that you like music podcasts. And if you like music podcasts, check out One Hit Thunder. Each week, we dive into a one hit wonder. And along the way, we gain some knowledge and have some laughs. Lou Bega, Crazy Town, Harvey Danger, The New Radicals, Aha. We're over 100 episodes in now. And to paraphrase the great Matthew Wilder, nothing's going to break our stride. 
Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. And now, back to the show. There's something else in this course that I noticed, and uh, I remember having a conversation with a producer years ago, and I knew he was full of crap as a young person. There's no rules in songwriting, Brian, as you know. And you get the line over in the first line, and you get the line over on the third line. I remember yeah. having that lyrical argument with the producer. Like, you can't use the same word in the chorus. Like, yes, you can. <laughs> you know, and this is further proof. That there's plenty of songs that do it. On the instrumentation here in the chorus, instrumental side, uh, it sounds like another pair of stereo guitars comes in here. That that guitar lick is pan left. It's playing its own counter melody. Uh, and all the licks, all those little counter melody licks, they're very subtle. It's more like ear candy throughout yeah. this song. It's not like they're big, you know, loud, uh, you know, ACDC guitar lick parts coming in, you know, right. but they, they work perfectly that way. The progression of the chorus differs from the verse, but that guitar lick gives it continuity, if that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's subtle. The first half of the chorus, it starts on the minor, and then the second half, it uses the exact same chords, but just flips to the major for the one. Yes. And so they mm-hmm. switch positions. But it's just, uh, the only reason I did that is just to get, uh, this whole idea musically for this song was to make the song move and constantly be interesting. Constantly changing, mm-hmm. constantly interesting, no boring. No, That was the rule with this record, especially with Brendan. No fat. Like, he's, he used to say, no timekeeping. No playing, that's just timekeeping. None of that. He's like, it has to have a purpose or it's out of here. Like okay, you can see me smiling real big because I have that written down here. There, you know, this part that comes in the drums on the second half of the chorus. The drums go to the ride cymbal. Okay, the chord progression, as you said, flips there, and the guitar lick changes. And I wrote down that this is like two choruses in one that you get. Yeah, and that's great cuz to <laughs> your point it just keeps it fresh. There's no fat. You, right. know, you don't get sick of the you don't get sick of the chorus. It's it, it's like two and one. Yeah, I think I'm a big fan of like the, you got to morph the, the thing uh, all the time. You have to keep it moving and try to find new ways to like even if you have like say you have one melody, right? The second half of it you either, you you only have the notes or you have the tempo or the words. So one of those things has got to speed up or slow down. I'm always a big fan of if it starts minor, you finish it major. If it starts like yeah. slow, speed up, you know, like, cause like even the words of the chorus, I thought about like having like the long, like, Hey, a two times. And then, then I was like, okay, the next half of the chorus has got to be like, you know, faster paced and you got to keep right. people interested. Cause my whole view was always thinking about the live show. And like, when you hear a band that you don't know, unless they're interesting, like your band is extremely interesting live, you know, like, there's not there's so first of all there's a lot of people to watch mm-hmm. but but you don't like you know it sucks when you like see a band like trying as hard as they can but you're just like how many times can you watch four people play guitar and bass and drums i mean unless the songs are mind-blowing but often <laughs> yeah. they're not so mm-hmm. you gotta find a way to keep it interesting and when i was that's where this all came from like when i was thinking about it I'll tell you something else I love. You get the first harmonies in the song on the back half. There you go. Turn the key in the engine over. Yeah. Let her go. Let somebody else later feed. The harmonies come in there. You know, was there ever talk of having the harmonies come at the top or did, did Brendan want to save that? Or do you want to save that? I don't know. That would have been a Brendan thing. Cause that's Brendan doing them. So he, he was really big on the harmony thing. And I was kind of like, harmony, like harmony, schmarmony, unison or or nothing you know like <laughs> unison or die yeah. come on from jersey we, unison yeah, or we sing as one yeah right <laughs> it's us against you pal which side are you on you know like <laughs> so brendan did those yeah. brendan did those vocals because i know brendan uh was was credited uh, as extra guitar on the record he was credited as uh, uh playing some keys and he's a multi-instrumentalist as i know yeah well i'll probably get sued or something for telling you this but he um he probably did not take credit I can't say for sure, but he probably didn't take credit for singing because you get paid more for singing. And <laughs> dude, Brendan was so cool. Like Brendan never, never helped me. I'm like a real staunch, like no co-writing, like for, you know, especially with, with Gaslight. Uh, I've done, I've broken my rule like three times ever. But uh, he, he said to me, like in the beginning, he was like, you know, he's like, if, if I ever make a suggestion to you, he's like, don't, don't worry about being defensive about like co-writing. He's like, I, I've got enough. I've made enough of a living. I don't need your money. And he's like, I'm not going to take any of your money. So he's like, if I ever come up with an idea and and you like it, he's like, I'm giving it to you. And I, and that, I mean, it never actually ended up happening, but 
the fact that he said that I thought was so awesome and like so yeah. unique. Like that does not happen. Everybody's like, oh, I said the word the man, like I got thirty percent. You know what I mean? A word yeah. for a third, and you're just yeah. like, you're like you're pirates. You're all pirates. It lets you as the artist uh, uh, keep your guard down. It's refreshing. Yeah, big time. Like a hundred percent. It lets you as an artist get your guard down, and that's how you get the best stuff. Absolutely. Well, there's a four bar reintro after the chorus. It's just guitar and drums. And then it's four bars with the bass uh, and verse lick progression before verse two starts. Have you seen my heart? Have you seen how it bleeds? And the nights are so long, baby. Out here in the deep, the tick, ticking of hours, lonely. I hear the alarm. And I'll read the pre-chorus too. Uh, I used to hear when she would sleep in my arms, but better sense says. So all that is like a continuation of like the more relational uh, kind of self-comforting pep talk. But there's a little bit of candy in there. Like, so so what what that is is like so when there was two like bad breakups i had one was when i was uh in high school and then the second i filled in for a new jersey band for like six months they it was my first like tour there's this band called lane meyer and they lost their singer so i their bass player stepped up to be their singer and they said they needed a guitar player who could also kind of sing once in a while like sort of be like the other guy in the Goo Goo Dolls. And I was like, I was like, I'm not really into it, but I do want to be in a band and this band's not lame. So I was like, that's cool. Let's do it. And I, I really liked their other guitar player. He was an awesome guy. So we, we, we bonded. And then, so uh, you know, Sean, you know, Sean Smith. Yeah, I do know Sean. And, uh, and so Sean, <laughs> I, I, I hung out with Sean in Tampa and Florida and he, some one night where I knew him for months, we hung out together and he'd go to the same bar. I did <laughs> one night. He's like, yeah, I don't know if you remember my band where we, we played with you guys a couple of times. We're called Lane Meyer. I'm like, of course I know who yeah. you are. So you played, in, you played in Lane Meyer. Yeah. For about six months. I, I maybe That's five crazy. months. Yeah. So what? I did one tour of the U S with them with, uh, the Lawrence arms and, uh, and and it was cool. It, it, uh, I learned everything I know about touring. It was like eight, nine weeks in my first tour ever. It was a nightmare. I was, I, but it was awesome. And uh, yeah. so anyway, so the point of that is I wrote one song for that band that I sang and it was called Alarm. And if you see me walk away Something inside you breaks Maybe that's the first time you and I Thought we never felt the same And they hated it, but it was actually a great song that ended up like being, <laughs> doing well. So the, uh, the <laughs> so. Hey, new guy, you got, you got to go now. <laughs> so they didn't like that, that I wrote a good song, which, yeah. I, I, you know, but it wasn't like, dude, it's not a competition. It's just like, hey, that's just one more good song we have now. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter who sings it. But, uh, so I wrote, I hear the alarm. And that was like a little joke to myself that no one would ever get. And I've never told anybody that before. So that's what I hear the alarm. That's where I said the word, the alarm. And then in the end, it says, but better sense says. So now when I was in high school with the other bad relationship breakup that I had, the song that truly made, made me feel better was the song Better Sense by Hot Water Music. It like made me feel like I can have faith in myself and do and peel and be better. And like, I don't know, like, and so I said, but better sense says, Hey, Hey, turn the record over. 
And it's like, that's yeah. what, so I was referencing these little bit. I like, I have tons of little jokes to myself that maybe no one will ever get. I'm, I mean, the references in this song are probably more at this point than any song we've, we, I've, I've covered on the show. Like you're, you're pulling from so many different directions. I'm like, yeah, I, it's like the, it, it's like a, a schizophrenic hour uh, songwriting <laughs> session, you know, but yeah. it, it's amazing though. Like you got so, you got so much going on in this song. Well, I get excited about like multiple things. Like I've always been a person who I'll take any kind of music. Like I'll listen to like ska music and then listen to pop and listen. I'll listen to anything. I don't like everything, but uh, I will, I will try everything. And I, I, I let everything influence me. Like uh, for just for instance, like right now I'm, I, I get obsessed over things too. Like not, not in a bad way in, a, in like a good way where um, like the thing that I'm obsessed with now is in the song um, material girl by Madonna, the way that the chorus melody goes is extremely weird and it's not a common thing and and i'm obsessed with the like you know like when it breaks down and there's like a material a material Like the way that it like goes with the rest of it, there's like parts in that song melodically that hit these minor notes that are incredible. And I'm like, that's going to make it into a song somehow. And I just pull from everywhere, but I feel like that's why the songs, I try to make them interesting because I pull from so many spots and I'm not just going like, Hey, what did Rancid do on let's go? Like, that was awesome. Let me copy that, (laughs) which it is awesome. But Rancid was pulling from like 50 million places, you know? Yeah. And that's what made them good. You're tripping me out uh, right now because uh, if you'd have told me an hour ago that I've been ta- I'd be talking about Lane Meyer and Material Girl yeah. in the same conversation, I- I'd be like, <laughs> w- "What alternate universe am I in? This yeah. is this is great." I'll tell you, I love how the melody uh, changes on verse two. You go up to a higher register, and it's more intense delivery wise here. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of times, uh, bands are afraid to do that. It's like the the first verse or second verse has to sound like the first verse, and it doesn't sound like you were afraid here. And, and did Brendan push? You or is that kind of where you wanted to go? No, uh, that that was that's where I naturally do. Brendan actually was trying to make me split the difference. Like he was like, "You got to make it sound a little bit like the first verse." He's like, "You can't, okay, you can't just abandon it," you know. And he said, "You can," but he's like, "If you're going for like, if you want to be on the radio, this is you got to kind of follow some some of the rules sometimes, not all the time." Okay, which bring, brings you to my next point. Um, was there talk about bringing that lyric back? I can't move on and I can't stay the same and all my friends say because here it's I used to hear when she would sleep in my arms but but better sense says. Was was that always that lyric there? Yeah, cuz I I would have told I would have been like beat it. Beat it, Brandon. Like I, I just don't <laughs> I don't like that's like too far for me. Like I I go like if okay. I feel something like I'm a, I'm always like more like if I get excited about it and it won't be a good idea, like commercially, I will always go with my excitement. Like, so I've probably you ruined should. opportunities. Yeah. You know, I, I'll be the first one to admit there's times that I've been wrong with my songs. I'll, I'll look back and say that should have been this and that, but you know, my, my gut is usually right. And, yeah. and you have to go, you have to go with how you feel and you have to stick to your convictions sometimes. Yeah. Uh, chorus two is the same lyrically as chorus one. <laughs> lyric lay at her feet the melody goes up up there with intensity yeah just really it really lifts there before the guitar solo yeah that is like so from that line to the end of the song the vocal delivery i really wanted just i was such a big fan of the who and pearl jam like live and and both of those singers, like Roger Daltrey and Eddie Vedder, they they didn't do it all the time, but they always had a righteous scream, like a real yeah. like it was like James Brown, but like way cooler, like just like rah, like and and I didn't know if I could do that, 
but I was like, I've got to try this and this is my chance. And, and so mm -hmm. on the rest of the song, I was like, I'm going to try and burn it like on a few of these vocals. And like, it turned out cool. And I, I, I thought it came out good. So I, I just let it go. And, and these are some of those, you're hearing me experiment on the, from yeah. here to the end. Well, I, out of all the guys, and I, I love a lot of the bands, uh, you know, not talking smack on any of them, but the bands that were doing the the the, the kind of gruff, screamy thing that you do, uh, your delivery to me was always always leaps and bounds above, and it was just you, it, you could enunciate and you could hear what you were singing, but it was still gruff and it still sounded tough. Yeah, well, that was that was a, a lot to Brendan's credit, is he would always tell me like. He'd be like, listen, man, I'm not trying to tell you like how to sing, but you got to enunciate. He's like, you can't. Cause when I talk, especially I would just be like mumbling and mm -hmm. he's like, dude, I can't tell what you're saying. And I got the lyrics in front of me. You can't do that. He's like, you gotta, got it. I want, he goes, the words are good. I want to hear the words. You got to enunciate. And so he taught me that on, on this record. And he's right. I yeah. think it's so important. And I think I think with, with this track especially, it, it really, really uh, is apparent. The guitar solo is 22 seconds long. It starts at two minutes. It goes to 2.22. The chord progression changes for the solo. And a tambourine comes in here really loud. Panned <laughs> off to the, panned, pan, yeah, panned okay. off to the left speaker. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's time, time to get on the dance floor now. Yeah. It's, you know, the tambo is in. there's the tambourine in there that's awesome yeah tambourines in there and uh i'm wondering what pedal is on the solo is that like a big muff electro harmonics that's what it sounds like almost it's, uh, it's... it would have been with alex man he was like a, a like a scientist so that was probably he i remember him taking out a, a wah-wah pedal and then putting okay. it he like took out the guts and put it into a pedal and like had like the frequency and so he'd set it so it'd be like weird and then like dude it was probably like a univibe like but an old like a legit one like a Jimi hendrix thing it's a great sound but again yeah. it's the guitar solo it's not like hitting you between the eyes it's still kind of subtle yeah you know that it's it's letting the band breathe and when you got the mixes back from brennan was there ever discussion of maybe the solo should be louder is that is that where you guys uh, heard it sit in the mix uh i mean i don't know if like there was ever too much like mix discussions like we were probably like sounds good <laughs> you know, like, and sometimes that's a good sometimes that's a good place to be in yeah. i've i've been there and i've also been like i need i need the guitar and the left speaker turned up a half db and you'll start to drive your other bandmates <laughs> and the mixer nuts they yeah. want to kill you you right, know right and I can, I can get that way, and it's, it's not fun. You know, I don't know if after the guitar solo, if you would call this, I think you referred to it as the bridge earlier. It's three bars of just that arpeggiated guitar from the intro yeah. come in. And uh, so I, I guess we'll call it a very short bridge. On the fourth bar, the vocals come in. And when this thing first starts, that last note of the guitar solo is ringing out over that arpeggio. It's a cool, cool little flavor there. Yeah. And you get in the lyric again, and all my friends say before chorus three hits. Yeah. And all my friends say. Chorus three comes on and just the intensity of this chorus vocally it's just it, it's ramped up same lyrics back half again the harmonies are there it's killer and all my friends say to an outro and the lyric on the outro is where you used to be where you used to be where you used to be here with me
what are you saying there to, to wrap up the song? Well, I think that's like the, that's when the focus shifts from the, um, the listener and the self to the person that the song's about. And you, you know, you, cause the, the, I guess the last line, let somebody else lay at her feet is the first is also the first line of that end part. Cause it's, it's let somebody else lay at her feet where you used to be, you know, here with me. And like, you're just shifting the focus to just be like sort of this, uh, I don't know, like the, the, the taillights farewell, you know, kind of like end of the movie thing. And, and that, that, okay. that, that's a yet another example of, of shifting, you know, perspective and focus and narrative are all, they're all pliable in my mind. Like the, whoever's speaking in a song could shift from line to line. It doesn't, I'd feel no, no need to follow the rules of, of language in song yeah it doesn't have to be first person or third person it, it, it could shift and go all over i like that totally yeah I, it's just fair game for me like the i think the point is is paramount here at the outro is a great new guitar lick that's panned right that comes in first time you hear it yeah. on the second line where you used to be it sounds like b3 organ pads oh come yeah in here that's Brendan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's totally awesome. <laughs> it's like, it's so cool. Cause yeah. it just, it just gives you just some, just some extra heaviness at the, right at the tail end of this song. That's just, I don't know if it's so much needed, but it just feels so good. He's master of that. Right. Like he just knows when the thing is like, uh, like he just knows where the things need to come in. And he, you know, he, like he played organ for Bob Dylan, like on, you know, and, He's like just that guy. He's like a musical genius when it comes to like arrangement. It's a total chills moment when the B3 came in there. I was like, this is just, uh, it can't get much better. Yeah. At the end of the song here, four bars, it ends on what I call the unresolved C minor, you know, yeah. the, the chord, <laughs> which is the starting chord of the chorus. However, it feels like a suspense chord here because the outro is rooted in E flat. Yeah, we did that on purpose, though, to make people like we, we thought about it. We were like, ah, you know, ending on the one chord should be the real deal especially for a song that's like a single but we were like again that's the that's the that's the us in it it's like that yeah nah. like let's do the c minor just because because we're not like you know we're not like the bands who are like so art rock that they feel like they're like they're like nasty and noisy to like to almost appear smarter than their audience like i hate that yeah i can't get down with it at all um yeah but but like just a little subtleties that sort of make it uncomfortable because i don't know like it was a really poppy song and like i feel like ending it like that sort of says there's not more of this coming next and the next song yeah. was like handwritten on the record which is pretty it's like it's a dark song and we waited for sirens that never come and we only ride by the moon the mood of that record is like a little dark <laughs> yeah i i love that it, it ends on the c minor but but the the riff at the end of the outro starts in e flat and it's just cool it ends on the on, like you said on the one but it, but it doesn't feel like it right it's great so um listen man this this was a lot of fun uh to go through but, but before we go uh what would you like to leave the listeners with what's going on with you solo what's going on with uh with, with gaslight if there is anything going on what's happening well i mean nothing much is happening right now i'm trying to wait to get on this like a never-ending cancellation tour um but i i guess <laughs> yeah. i i have like some dates <laughs> Like I'm on the same one. We're on yeah, the same tour. Cool. It's, it's awesome. It's just like, no, it's horrible, but it, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I think it'll pass. I think it will get back to like, you know, especially summertime. I think it'd be cool with people outside. I don't have like, uh, my year is sort of like being born as it is right now. Like, so I'm like finding out what's going on next and there's not much really going on to speak of. Um, gasoline like quiet. Like it's been quiet for a while, but like, you know, like again, like I couldn't tell anybody that like some people are like, all right, you guys like you guys broke up. We didn't we didn't break up. We just like didn't have any good ideas. So we were like, I don't know when we have a good idea, we'll come back. So like, who knows? Total respect for what you just said, though. I, yeah. I always like being, we, we we're broke up. It's like, well, nah. you're a great band. You, you're probably not going to ever really break up. Are well, you? <laughs> that's the thing is like we never wanted to, you know, because we did like a couple shows in 2018 and we didn't want to be like we're broken up. Oh, wait, just kidding. Like, so we just said, like, yo, we don't have any good ideas right now. Like, if we have good ones, we'll come back. I don't know. 
Like that's it. Yeah. So it's not like <laughs> it's not as dire as people want to make it. Like magazines, like former like members of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they hate each other yeah. no we don't right yeah. exactly <laughs> that's awesome well listen man th- again th- uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, yeah. to talk to me today thanks for having me i appreciate it there's lots more chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, if you need a unique, thoughtful, and inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, check out iloveenamelpins.com. Make someone's day by giving them a little present to show you care. Over 80 different pins are available, everything from cats and dogs to your favorite celebrities. And to top it off, you can use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% on your order. iloveenamelpins.com. Give them something to wear that shows that you care. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Keep Flying, a five-piece ska punk band from Long Island, New York, featuring Harry Menzel on vocals and guitar, Chuck Bernard on bass and vocals, Peter Vriones on drums, John Ryan on the sax, and Ricky Coates on trombone. Here's a snippet of their song, Fire Sale. There's no Aftershock Cause it feels like a constant earthquake Make it stop Cause I just need to stand up straight I cannot Live with my whole world Crumbling around me Just let me get my wits about me The Rap with Chris and Chris Well, not to sound like a broken record, no pun intended when it comes to this song, but (laughs) uh, I think that that may have been one of my favorite episodes. He was awesome. What a great conversation. Yeah. You know, and it's so crazy. At the top, I had said, you know, can't believe we've never met. You know, I I don't recall uh, Less Than Jake being on on many festivals with with Gaslight. And uh, man, he was he was so fun to talk to. What What a great guy. Yeah, that was great. He's been asked for a lot by people in our Facebook group and people that reach out to us about who they want to see as guests. He's been asked for a whole lot. And I can see why after that episode. I mean, I've always known that they were a really great band. But uh, yeah, on top of that, a great podcast guest. (laughs) (laughs) He was killing me. I mean, he brings up Skid Row, which, of course, I I know the the weird oddity that uh, they had a singer named Matt Fallon before Sebastian Bach, before they ever got signed. Nobody (laughs) knows that. He knew that, being from Jersey, which I thought was funny. He talked about Lane Meyer, a, a, uh, you know, relatively unknown punk band that I ended up hanging out with a guy in Florida that was in that band, Less Than Jake, played with them. And then out of nowhere, he starts talking about how he's currently obsessing about about a song that's going on 40 years old, Material Girl. Like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> hey, I think the thing about Gaslight Anthem, and you got into this a little bit, the word that I would use to describe their music would be earnest. And no, I'm not talking about Ernest Goes to Camp or Ernest, <laughs> Ernest Scared Stupid, <laughs> which would be funny if I was referring to that Ernest. Like, you know, it reminds me, Vern, of Gaslight Anthem. I'm pre- no, I'm that's pretty, not what I mean. I'm pretty sure nobody thought that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't thinking about Ernest Scared Stupid when they listened to the Gaslight Anthem. No, no, it's that they have believable, relatable lyrics. And I don't know if I've ever heard it talked about as well as Brian just talked about why it is that New Jersey bands always seem to fit in that mold. That was a pretty cool explanation that they're in this place that's surrounded by all these, I don't know, 
big cities, places where there are lots of people. And it kind of feels like they're the the working class version of those places or something. Or how did he put it? I don't know exactly how he put it, but it was yeah, cool. Yeah, that's pretty much how he put it. You're, 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 you're eclipsed and overshadowed by a definitely New York City. I mean, uh, right. you know, you talk about uh, uh, having, a, having a huge shadow uh, cast over you. That, you know, Philadelphia is close by. He mentioned D.C. You know, that was an explanation that I have never heard before. I thought that was really, really interesting. Something else he said that I thought was really cool, and I've talked about this before with my friends, is that he was talking about how, I think this was in reference to you saying, like, your album went to number three on the Billboard charts the week it came out. And he's like, he's basically laughing about it. Like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, he thinks it's just as crazy as anyone. But the fact that when I was growing up and I was a teenager, I thought it would be the most amazing thing in the world to be the biggest punk band and i even wrote down his exact quote he said if we could be the biggest punk band that'd be sick but then i don't know when it was i mean granted there was green day and the offspring and stuff when i was a teenager but for the most part most of the bands that i listened to if they were big maybe they sold 80,000 100,000 albums which is still a big number don't get me wrong but that was what big was then all of a sudden by the mid 2000s being a big band meant you were selling millions of albums I had friends bands <laughs> who were selling millions of albums and it's just weird how that that happened you know when he said that I'm like yeah I get what you're talking about man it's crazy that he probably never imagined like They'd be on number three on the Billboard charts, you know. Yeah, and I was careful with my language with him. I didn't want it to like like they're an overnight sensation. But in the grand scheme of things, it happened pretty quick for these guys. I mean, they were formed in '06, and by '08, the '59 sound was out, and they were just rising quick. And you know, by the time they got signed to Mercury in 2012, and, and Handwritten was released, it was uh, it was like all the stars were lined up for these guys. It was it was uh, the perfect storm. Yeah, that's a a pretty quick trajectory, and you know hiatus you know that their their period like that's probably around like the Beatles period you know the Beatles was like what eight years or nine years that they were together and all this stuff happened it seems like a lot of stuff happened for Gaslight Anthem in that time and you know no offense to Gaslight Anthem not really comparing them to the Beatles but you know what I'm saying is like they happened fast that the, yeah and everything else- that happened yeah. Something else I thought was really humbling and awesome. He said, he's like, you know, people like to make a big deal out of, oh, they broke up. He's like, we never broke up. We just, you know, we, when we have ideas again, maybe we'll play. And I thought that was refreshing a lot. You know, bands love to capitalize on that reunion tour and all that. And I, I've always hate those quick cash grabs. I feel that the ones that pay the price are the fans, both emotionally because they love your band and they miss you. And then they pay out of pocket when you come back for these reunion tours. It's ridiculous. You know, he said, no, we're not broke up. We're just not doing nothing right now. I thought that was really honest and sincere. Dude, what was cool about it is that he said, we just don't have any ideas right now because they could easily forced ideas and maybe the songwriting would have suffered. So what that tells me is when Gaslight Anthem finally does make a new album, it's going to be really good because there's going to be a reason for it. It's going to be because the ideas are there. The songs are there. I, I think that's the refreshing part of it is that they're, they weren't trying to force out average mediocre music. If they didn't have the songs, they were like, eh, we don't have them right now. And yeah, when they do, I'm sure they're going to be great. And I thought it was cool too, Chris, we've talked about this, on past episodes, but in reference to Brendan O'Brien, when it comes to songwriting, he had referenced that it has to have a purpose or it's out of here. As far as like, there's no meandering parts in the songs. It's like everything that's there is there for a reason. And I think that's an awesome way to approach writing a song. Yeah, I love that. And enunciation. He stressed enunciation. And I think maybe that's something that gets lost sometimes. I mean, especially in punk rock music. Think about some of the voices and some of the deliveries of people in punk rock. But it is important. You and I might not think about this as much, Chris, because we might tend to err on the side of melody Mm -hmm. or whatever. But... People like to know what the lyrics are. They want to know what's being said. Yeah, I mean, I I love the four the the forefathers of of uh, this scene. You know, the Leatherface and Refused and some of those bands. But man, uh, you know, they they're not enunciating like Brian is. And and I, I haven't said to him. I think I think he's one of the best at it. I think he's gruff and emotional, and he can he can scream, but but you're still able to understand what he's saying. And uh, he credited a lot of that to Brendan O'Brien, which I thought was cool. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Chris, can I enunciate something real quick? 
Please. Will everybody out there please go leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you got a chance. If you got what the a chance. Segue. What a segue. <laughs> yeah. You know, go leave us a rating. You know, we have a Facebook group. It's a nice place to talk with people about music. We have fun in there. I don't know. If you're on Facebook, if you're not then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> also, we have a supporting cast program. If you like this podcast and you want to support this podcast for a few bucks a month, you get a whole bunch of bonus episodes and you have a chance to be a guest on Defeat the Megs. There's other stuff associated, but more than anything, you're helping us keep this podcast going. And that's awesome. That's just some of the things I wanted to enunciate there, Chris. I hope I spoke clearly while I was speaking there. You did a fantastic job, Chris, and I'll enunciate a few things here as well. Please join our Facebook group. Krista Makes a Podcast has a Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. We'd love to see you there. Give me a follow on Instagram as well. I'm at less than Chris D. And if you'd like a custom song for you, that special someone, a jingle for your business or podcast, hit me up, Krista Makes at gmail.com. I'd love to write one for you. Special thanks to this week's guest, Brian Fallon, for being with us, and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.